Hey there, Hit Like a Girl Pod listeners. We've got some exciting news that's too good to keep to ourselves. You all know Grace Minton, whose stories have captivated us over the past couple years. Well, Grace has been doing such an amazing job with her show, High Tea with Grace, that it's time for her to shine even brighter. Yes, you heard that right. High Tea with Grace has graduated to its own show with its own brand new RSS feed. While we've loved sharing Grace's episodes as special bonuses on the Hit Like a Girl pod, it's now time to give Grace the spotlight she deserves. So what does that mean for you? To continue enjoying the compelling stories and insights from Grace, head over to your favorite podcast platform and hit that subscribe button for High Tea with Grace. Trust us, you don't want to miss out on what she has in store. Her latest series is dedicated to understanding the VC funding world, aka Fund Like a Girl. Thank you for supporting us, and let's show some love for Grace on her exciting new journey. Remember, search for High Tea with Grace and subscribe today. Like a Girl podcast. This is High Tea with Grace, where we spill the tea on HIT. I'm honored to welcome Dr. Jerry Landman. She's a pediatrician and board member of Moonshots for Unicorns. She's also on a rare disease journey to find a cure for her child. We're very excited to learn from you today, Dr. Jerry. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Grace. I'm so excited to be here. So tell me about your personal journey that led to the formation of Moonshots for Unicorns. Yeah. So we um, have two older girls um, and love being parents. And so decided to become a parent to a a third baby um, who was born last May, Lucy. Um, She, uh, we just felt like our family was complete when she arrived. Um, And being a pediatrician, you know, I started to notice around four months old that she wasn't quite doing some of the same things her, her older sisters had done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they like like her older sister. She was hungry at four months. She uh, she would watch that spoon go back and forth from the plate to my mouth and say, "Why aren't I getting some of that?" So I tried to sit her in the poppy chair, and she flopped to the side. The same was true at five months. Um, and so we visited the pediatrician and and got a referral to neurology, and everything was pretty reassuring. Um, you know, the neurologist evaluation said this is probably benign hypotonia, benign, you know, low, low muscle tone. Um, and she started some physical therapy and she was improving like crazy. You know, she learned to sit independently. She was playing with toys. Um, and then we went on a family trip to Panama when she was about eight and a half months old. And she just sort of got a virus, either a stomach bug or something, and seemed to kind of fall off a cliff with it. You know, whereas previously she could sit up for 15 minutes, um, she was falling immediately to the side. She stopped making good eye contact, which was really scary. Um, She stopped eating solid food, just straight up refusing it. and so we came home um, and had a series of, you know, messages and and ER visits. And um, finally, I emailed her neurologist and said, something seems very wrong. Hmm. Um, and she said, I hear you. I sent her a few videos and they were very concerned. Um, and they said, come on in for an expedited admission um, to Stanford. And so Lucy was admitted for two nights and she had the whole big, pup. you know, she had an MRI of her brain. She had an EEG to look for seizures. Um, she had a spinal tap 
um, times two actually, um, and uh, a nerve conduction study. And all of that was reassuring as well. And so we've had these moments along this journey where we've been like, okay, out of the woods, things are, things are okay. And she started getting better. Um, as she kind of got further out from this little virus that she got, um, we were so lucky in that um, the neurologist who was on that week that we were in the hospital happens to also be a neurogeneticist. Oh, wow. Um, let's be thorough um, and send off some broad genetic testing. Um, and so she sent off from Lucy the next week with just a little, you know, swab at home. Um, by then, Lucy was back to her baseline. We weren't expecting to find anything at all. Um, uh, sent off some genetic testing. And on April 18th, she sent me a text message and said, Lucy's genetic testing is back and I'm really concerned. Um, let's meet in an hour. That's a text message. Oh, man. Um, and so my husband came home from work and we learned that day that Lucy has um, something called PGAP3, which is a gene I have never heard of, a class of disorders that I have barely heard of. It is not something you learn about in medical school. It is not something that was ever tested for on prenatal testing or anything else. Um, and it basically uh, affects her neurons' ability to communicate with each other. Um, the little flags that are on the outside of cells come loose for Lucy. Um, and so, yeah, we said we took our week. Um, the neurologist told us that she may never walk. Oh. Um, she will likely never talk. Um, she will have severe intellectual disability. And uh, she is likely to develop what's called refractory seizures, so seizures that are really hard to treat. Um, and we just broke down, you know, mm. we, we couldn't believe that Lucy was there with us at the time of the meeting. And she was just babbling and playing in front of us, looking like a totally normal baby by that point. Um, and it, it seemed so shocking. So we took our week and we cried. And we went on a lot of hikes. And then we said, this doesn't have to be her path. It's 2022, you know, mm -hmm. Gene is a thing. Drugs are repurposed all the time. What can we do as two parents situated in the Bay Area among some of the biggest healthcare startups and technology there is, medically trained um, with great communities around us, um, what can we do to give Lucy the best possible chance at life? And that's the origin of moonshots for unicorns. You know, moonshots are obviously shooting for the moon, maybe landing among the stars, but a, a huge project and, and unicorns, Lucy's our unicorn. And there's a lot of unicorns out there that we've met since we started this journey. So what are some of the options for families of patients with rare diseases? Um, the, you know, what options do you have in terms of developing therapeutics? Um, are, there, is, are there any technologies at home that could help diagnose and manage rare diseases? Do you see potential for that in the industry? Yeah, absolutely. So I think diagnostics have come such a long way. And I can't emphasize enough the importance of diagnosis for, for these rare diseases, you know. Um, I know there's a couple of companies working with legislators right now to really try to make this genetic testing available for everyone. It was so easy, Grace. It's literally like a kit got mailed to me. I swabbed Lucy's um, 
you know, cheeks. And I sent it back. And three weeks later, we knew 483 of her genes, wow. um, which is, is amazing to me, even as a pediatrician. And I want that to be available to everyone who has a rare disease that might be of genetic origin because it's game changing. You know, the mm-hmm. fact that we found this out for Lucy at 10 months old lets us have such a possibility of, of altering her life course. Um, and it, it makes me feel like less of a crazy mom. You know, I think mm-hmm. we all know this. You have kids when you're looking at, you know, what may be minor symptoms and saying, am I crazy or is this real? Um, and so I, I think the importance of diagnosis and home diagnosis, easy diagnosis, is it cannot be overemphasized. Um, to your second question of, of what are the options of of for families with kids with rare diseases, particularly those of genetic origin. Um, you know, like I said, it's 2022. There's probably a couple different buckets that people can pursue. Um, one of which is just kind of going the supplement, um, you know, what nutritional remedies are known for your disease, doing a deep mm-hmm. dive into the, the scientific literature on those things. So Lucy, for example, is on high doses of vitamin B6. Um completely benign almost, you know, but it's shown to prevent seizures um, in kids with this condition. And so we started that, you know, within a few days of her diagnosis. Um, The second bucket is probably drug repurposing, meaning um, you take this long list, maybe 6,000 drugs that already exist in the world, you know, 2,500 of them are already approved by the FDA and the other 3,500 come from somewhere else in the world. And you kind of, you can't obviously try 6,000 different drugs on Lucy mm-hmm. um, or on any child. Yes. But the technology exists now to put Lucy's gene into other organisms that you can test. Um, and this is such a highly preserved gene, the yeast habit. You know, it has been around for all of evolution. So currently in San Francisco in a bio lab there, there are Lucy yeast growing with Lucy's gene in them. And it turns out they're not growing quite as well, which is not shocking. You know, Lucy's a chubby baby, but it, mm-hmm. you need this um this gene to work. And so our plan um, is to kind of take those yeast um, and test those drugs against them and see if we get any hits um, and then potentially test any of those hits on mice, on Lucy's own cells, and maybe if they're safe and seem reasonable on Lucy um, at some point. That route is shocking to me in that um, it's almost privately fundable for a lot of sort of middle class um, Americans with, you know, some some help from friends and everything. But but you're talking about the kind of two hundred and fifty thousand dollar ballpark for a, a very robust drug repurposing campaign. Um, and then there's the gene therapies. Right. We this is 2022. Lucy's missing a a good gene. She has two bad copies of one gene. Can we put that gene back in in the cells that matter? Mm -hmm. Um, And this is real science now. You know, there's another disease called spinal muscular atrophy that used to be every pediatrician's nightmare. Um, Kids would die before age one of respiratory failure because their muscles just got, their diaphragm muscles got so weak, they stopped being able to breathe and their whole bodies got really weak. Uh, And now there's a gene therapy for that disease that 
it like makes me tear up even to think about it because I've taken care of SMA patients. Like those kids are walking. Wow, the hope that brings to gene mutations like PGAP3 and others. It's incredible, incredible. What is your vision for moonshots for unicorns and all of this? You know, short term, long term, you know, the potential that gene therapies and, and these other opportunities that, you know, technology and other types of developing therapeutics might have on this space. You know, what is what is the vision that you all have? Yeah. I mean, the big picture vision is that we want no parent to be told what we were told. And I, I love our neurogeneticist. Please don't, please don't. <laughs> of course, of course. What she said was true, was that there are no treatments and no cures. And that is true in 2022, but it doesn't have to be true. And I want no parent who gets a rare genetic diagnosis to go to bed thinking that night that there are no options for their child. Mm -hmm. I want people to know that you know, the science exists and it's real. And it's not that there aren't logistical barriers along the way, financial, scientific, you know, it's it's not a plug and play system yet. Um, each gene therapy probably costs between three and five million dollars to develop. Um, but that as those get more common and as the FDA gets more comfortable with them, this process will get streamlined um, and become, you know, like all other processes, more cost effective as um, as time goes on. Um, and so that's that's the big picture vision. The immediate vision is funding gene therapy for PGAP3. Um, so we've found a researcher uh, at Nationwide Children's in Ohio who is willing to take Lucy's case on. She's amazing. She has a poster on her wall that says, patience is such a waste of time. And I said, honey, you're speaking my language, <laughs> you know. Um, she already has Lucy cells growing in her lab um, and she's working on, on a virus basically that will have, that's harmless to humans, um, that will have a fixed copy of Lucy's gene inside of it. Um, and, and obviously we'll give this virus to cells and mice and everything first to make sure it's safe. And that that virus will deliver that gene um, into hopefully all the cells that need it uh, in Lucy's brain, which is one of the logistical challenges. You know, how do you, how do you actually get it to where it needs to go? Um, and, and Lucy will have a functional copy of that gene. Um, and our goal is to do that within two years. So that we're really hitting those critical neurodevelopmental windows when she's supposed to be learning to talk. She's supposed to be learning to walk. And she tries. I mean, she tries every day. Uh, if I fall down as much as that girl falls down, I would I would be bruised and and done for. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That is incredible progress in the time that you've had too, and just the amazing support that you've had and the right connections aligning. And, and it probably has a lot to do too with the area in which you live. Um, do you think that there are some limitations or challenges for folks that live in rural areas with similar uh, rare diseases? Yes, 100%. Um, I do think diagnosis is probably the limiting step there though. Oh, because of access to specialists. 
true. You know, the amount of things that had to come together for our family for Lucy to be diagnosed at 10 months. I didn't even mention before, but the neurogeneticist who was on that week happened to be my resident when I was a medical student um, in medical school. And so wow, maybe I was a little crazy, but I wasn't totally crazy. <laughs> and I think she, because we're physicians, she took us really seriously and took our concerns really seriously. Um, and and just had the training that she needed. And we, we have the resources, you know, we have the insurance to be able to cover this for a very reasonable price for our family. Um, and so I think those sorts of resources, once diagnosis happens, email is a powerful tool. Zach and I, uh, you know, April 18th is pretty much the day we stopped sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we have emailed the first and last author on every paper that was ever written. And I think probably one of the challenges for other families with rare diseases is finding a scientific advisor who's willing to sort of do and interpret that stuff. We are not gene therapy scientists, but we understand the basics. Um, And I've talked to a lot of other rare disease families that have taken, you know, a very fast primer on the science behind gene therapy, drug repurposing, genetics in general, you know, how the amount of information to wrap your head around is really a lot. And so I think for families who live a little bit more off the grid, for families who aren't as connected in a scientific space um, and have people who can explain things to them, that would be step number one, two, and three is kind of um, getting someone who can help you understand the science around this stuff. Um, Because unfortunately, you know, as a pediatrician too, I see this all the time. They're are a lot of there are a lot of rare diseases out there and there are a lot of desperate parents and that makes a market for a lot of people willing to take advantage. Mm. Yes. So true. I, I'm wondering, you know, how is social media useful for families with you know of patients with rare diseases? So say you do get the diagnosis, what what can social media bring to you as a rare disease family? That is such a great question. I mean, the social media possibility is as huge. Um, one, I would just give the advice to be ready to do it. Um, you know, I think that it's one thing to receive a diagnosis when you have a relatively healthy baby sitting in front of you. And many genetic rare diseases are neurodegenerative, meaning kids get worse over time. And and adolescents with rare diseases look very different than than babies who have rare diseases. Um, And we sort of went gung-ho and and said, um, let's join all these groups and find all the people. And we had to take a step back for a few days because we said, you know, we weren't quite ready to look at our future as wonderful as all those families and and children are. It's a bit of a shock. And so I would say, get yourself in a good place where you're ready to make these connections because it is a wonderful support group with wonderful people who have children that have such a quality of life and um, bring such joy to their families. Um, I think that social media is worlds ahead of the published literature for these rare diseases. You know, there are probably less than 30 cases in the literature of PGAP3. And on the Facebook group for PGAP3, there are 20 families with kids who've never been published. Wow. Um, and, you know, the the literature captures often the most severe cases first. Oh, that's so true. So you look it up and, of course, it's the worst case scenario. The oh, that, scenario. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and you go to this Facebook group and you see kids mm-hmm. who are playing with their siblings and laughing and walking. And, um, you know, they are, I do not want to minimize their symptoms. These families are severely affected by yes, yeah. um, what's, what's going on with their kids, but, um, there's also a lot of hope there. Um, and there's a lot of validation for things that maybe weren't described in the literature. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, crazy stuff, mm-hmm. even like all the PGAP three kids love water. They just are like, they love the bathtub. They love the hot tub. They love the ocean, you know, and Lucy is exactly that way. If that baby is crying. You just put her in the bath with dad and she's so happy. Um, and so it's, it's cool to find those sorts of connections too. And then, I mean, the other possibility of social media, especially with those kinds of groups, is is finding science. Um, so who else has your child's mutation? Um, anyone interested in helping fund a drug repurposing study? Um, you know, if we had gene therapy, who could come to the center to actually get it? Who would be interested? Are we doing an N of one trial here or are we, you know, trying to mm-hmm. make enough um, initial therapy for four to six kids, um, which is generally sort of the, the phase one thing. And so from the science perspective, I'd say social media is essential. I took Lucy recently to the Mayo Clinic to see Dr. Marava there, who's a world CDG expert. She's a lovely person. Um, and she learned about this Facebook group from me and she said, okay, whose cells can you get? We need need cells. (laughs) Wow. Wow. I can't get any of them. (laughs) I can refer them to you. Mm. It's like, she wants to help and social media is making her able to reach the folks that she needs to reach to be able to help. Absolutely. Exactly right. Exactly right. Wow. What is it like coming from the physician side of things, you know, a pediatrician by training and now being on the caregiver side and the patient side, you know, what is it like being in that unique position just for you personally? Yeah. I don't know if it makes it easier or harder. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think it, it was critical in getting Lucy diagnosed in that um, I was sort of able to confidently say something's really wrong when something was really wrong. Um, but I think I I had a lot of, you know, personal battle with, um, I haven't had postpartum anxiety or depression and other pregnancies, but I was really questioning myself whether, you know, my mm-hmm. concerns were were based in, in Lucy pathology or based in my own pathology. Um, and... So I think being able to recognize that was helpful, but it also made me question myself a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of moms of rare disease patients have been told that they have postpartum anxiety or postpartum depression or just an anxious mom. Mm-hmm. I am so lucky in my life that no no one in you know my sphere sort of was saying that. Mm-hmm. Although I, I felt it a little bit. Sometimes. You questioned it yourself, but the yeah. people who you were speaking with understood that there was something here that needed to be worked out and not being questioned helped you actually get answers quicker rather than waiting years on years and trying to get help for yourself first and never getting the help she needed. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Listen to moms. My, my favorite pediatrics mentor of all time um, Tim Kelly used to say, listen even more. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is, that is so key. Um, and then, you know, it's, it allows me to sort of separate myself sometimes in a scientific way and focus on the science. Um, it definitely allows me to treat Lucy's, you know, other symptoms. So like her brain works a little bit slower because her cells don't communicate well, so does her gut. Um, and oh, and you change. understand that because, you know, being a pediatrician, you really understand these types of foods. I need to feed her to make sure that, you know, if we're going on a long car ride, we want to make sure this is the type of meal she eats first, that type of thing. That type of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, before she was diagnosed, she had terrible reflux and constipation. And I didn't want to over medicalize her. You know, I was like, she's just mm-hmm. a normal baby. Mm-hmm. Give her some prunes, you know, give her mm-hmm. some more water. And now I know that there's a reason for her gut to move so slowly. So I'm like, okay, let's throw the mirror locks at it. And she's so much happier and more comfortable. It's so empowering to see. She's made so much progress since her tummy doesn't hurt. Oh, that's great. And, um, you know, I think the the downside of that is that there are moments that you flip into momhood and it's almost a shock. Mm-hmm. You like really think about um, just like, she'll probably never say mama um she'll she's not gonna talk unless we get her some treatment um and you see her struggle uh you know I went for a walk with my husband on the beach shortly before she was diagnosed actually when she was still really struggling with a lot of things and I just I saw this bird flying and I said it just looks so easy you know why does Lucy have to struggle so much mm-hmm. um, and so I think that the moments that you kind of um have to be on mom's side and and they're not always they don't always come with warning mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, are the ones that that really hit home and I'm I'm grateful to have the pediatrician side to sort of flip to and use my brain as a way to sort of productively engage with her disease in that way mm-hmm. um while still you know sitting in the reality of of being a mom with a, a child with rare disease Truly, truly, that's a lot to hold. And whether you're a physician or not a physician and and truly, you know, being that physician helps you keep moving forward, even in the times when you personally feel like you, it's it's too hard to. Um, it's It's really challenging. What are some things that you do as a caregiver to Amazing Lucy and as a physician, as a busy mom, as a board member of Moonshots for Unicorns, what do you do in your personal life to work your best and make a difference to take care of you? Yeah, yeah. I am I have to work on self-care since April 18th, I have to say. <laughs> self-care is just normal care. I think when it's, it's <laughs> just all of this busyness and a lot moving and... Um. <laughs> You know, honestly, I um, I had taken a year while my husband was doing some training to um, step back from some clinical work, mm-hmm. and I was just doing sort of urgent care for a bit. Um, but I'm I'm going back to uh, an almost full time clinical job at the end of August, um, and I I'm so excited about that because taking care of other kids is so therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Um, I became a pediatrician because I love watching kids grow up. I love supporting families. Um, and I think it's an amazing perspective. You know, we're dealing with PGAP3. Other families are dealing with a lot of other stuff and, mm-hmm. and we all just got to be there for each other and support each other. 
Um, and so I think my work in that way actually is very therapeutic for me. And then I really, I've tried to continue to just live in the moment and enjoy Lucy for who she is at this moment and, and celebrate her successes, you know, um, being having a diagnosis takes you from a deficits mentality where you're so worried that she's not making this milestone or she's not doing this or is she doing this funny movement to oh my gosh she has this devastating diagnosis look at all she's doing despite that you know every milestone is such a success to to celebrate and I love spending time with her older sisters and watching them, um, you know, interact with her and become these amazing human beings, um, who they are, their first day of schools tomorrow. You know, I, um, I think living in the moment that way is something that I've tried to really, really do since April 18th and, and just enjoy every day for what it is and every developmental, you know, time for all my kids, um, mm -hmm. the way it is. Hmm. What is your favorite book or quote or, you know, something that kind of inspires, has inspired you or kept you going in this season? Yeah, um, I have a lot of favorite books. Um, my favorite quote of all time, I don't know, is is directly related mm -hmm. um, to Lucy, although it is it is about helping others um, in some ways. So I read Huckleberry Finn with um, my my teacher, Mrs. Schroth, who I had for three years of middle school um, and was my favorite teacher of all time. And, and there's a scene in that book where, where Huck decides to help Jim despite thinking that um, he is, you know, he's religiously been told that it's going to harm him. Um, and my favorite quote from that book, because it, it symbolizes so much, is just, all right, then I'll go to hell. Um, and it's when he decides that even if it means eternal damnation, friendship is so important and helping other people is so important um, that uh, that he'll go to hell for it. Wow. Um, you know, and that's that's what's important. Um, and I've taken that. We talked extensively about that quote, and I just I love it. I think it's um, uh, I think it's a key piece. It's said so simply in literature, but it's really just about the sacrifices that we need to make to be human um, and to to have humanity. Um, and so that's my favorite literature quote of all time. I think. Oh, I love that. That is so inspiring. And I know that our listeners will be inspired by that as well. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing of yourself so freely and, and the courage that you had to come here and be so vulnerable and speak about what you're going through and, and what's going on with peak app three and you know what is your vision for moonshots now what's your dream what what would you like to have happen for moonshots in peak app three yeah i mean i we've met so many families now who have um uh, someone in their family suffering from peak app three um, and I, I'd love to be able to help all of them. You know, they, uh, there's Ella in New Zealand, there's Chase in Colorado, um, there's Aya in San Diego. You know, these families have been living with this for a lot longer than we have, and they have a lot of wisdom to share. But I'm hoping that some of the drug repurposing work that we're doing and, and ultimately the gene therapy work can be really transformative for their lives. Um, and I don't see, you know, now that I've been in this space, I don't see moonshot stuff with PGAP3. 
Oh, there's yeah. A of, there's a lot of patient family foundations out there that are about the disease. And I totally get that. You know, I I want Lucy treated as soon as possible. But I think that the the science of gene therapy and, and where we're going with it and, and working with the FDA, um, working with companies who are working on different gene therapy technologies, be it delivery or, you know, making it less recognized by the immune system or, or things along those lines, that this is such an exciting field of science that we want to continue to support. You know, Lucy's gene is one on a pathway of 16 genes. Let's start there, make those proteins, you know, and, and cure those kids. Um, and then from there, branch out, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. So inspiring. And that is absolutely going to happen. I'm excited to track your trajectory and have you back on the show, you know, as often as you'd like to, to talk about some of these additional therapies that you'll be working on down the road. Yeah, so thank you. And to finish off this conversation, right, where can our listeners find you online and reach you? Uh, yeah, so um, moonshotsforunicorns.org is the main page where we post, you know, all the scientific updates um, and we're going to start having some videos of other families affected by PGAP3 hopefully soon. Um, you can learn more about PGAP3 there. Um, if you want to follow Lucy's personal journey and, and anything that we're trying for her, sometimes we'll, you know, include something, um, a new supplement that we're trying. We're going to try folate next week. Um, uh, she is at Lucy the PGAP3 Goose on Instagram. Um, and, and there's lots of cute baby videos there as well. Um, and then there's a Facebook page for Moonshots for Unicorns that's fully searchable um, as well. That's terrific. Now, before I forget, did you happen to bring tea with you today? You sure did. Ah, tell really me about your mug. Yes. So I'm mostly an herbal tea drinker, but it's it's 6 a.m. here in California. Um, so I had to drink some green tea this morning with a little bit of caffeine. So a little caffeine, a little antioxidants, and a little pomegranate with it for a little sweetness. I think sounds like a great way to start a day. That is too good. Absolutely. I'm going to have to try that tomorrow morning. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Grace. This was really fun. Um, and I so appreciate your caring about Lucy and other kids with rare diseases and, and everyone's, um, you know, just, just caring makes such a difference. It's a true pleasure. And we wish you and Lucy and the PGAP3 community all the best in your journey. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us too. Check out the Hit Like a Girl podcast website and YouTube page for more great guests like Dr. Jerry today. Cheers. Like a Girl Media is more than a media network. It's a community. We want to meet you and amplify your voice and the voices of outstanding women innovating in healthcare. Interested in starting your own podcast or hosting an event near you? Connect with us online or in person. We're here to support and empower you. 